Hi, this is Max. I'm not in today's show, but I did edit it. I just wanted to let you know that we have an extended version of this episode in which Danielle and Sean discuss a couple of poems from Richard Sykin's book, Crush. If you'd be interested in that, you can turn this off and click on that episode, which is called Show 11, Wishbone, and Planet of Love. That one runs a little bit longer. It's one hour and 15 minutes. Welcome to Beta Readings. Lit from the basement. This is Danielle. I'm an author and professor. And I'm Sean. I work in politics. You mean you're a political operative. <laughs> I don't like to use that word. I used to love that word, but not anymore. so badass. Why would you not tell everybody that? Well, because it sounds, because you can't walk around telling people, hey, I'm a badass. You need someone else to say it. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. That's yeah. fair. <laughs> I just need to take you everywhere so you can be like, he's an operative. <laughs> I, lo- I love that. I'm on the road for this episode. So we don't have Max with us, but we do have, as stated before, my lovely friend, Sean. This is a podcast in which I introduce a poem to usually my husband and here one of my very oldest friends. We then use it as a springboard to discuss personal narratives or issues that we care about. My boys are very far away right now, probably at a play date with Max (laughs) on the other side of the country. They're not here, so let's talk. Excellent. So you're living in Baltimore right now? Yes. Coming Uh, down to visit me in D.C.? I am. I I live in Baltimore. I spend a fair amount of time in D.C. because I I work in politics and a lot of politics happens in D.C. Right, right. (laughs) So how long have we known each other? Oh, my goodness. I moved to Fairfax in 2002 and I probably met you sometime that year or early 2003, somewhere in there. Yeah. And uh, at some point we lived together. You know, you had asked me then... um, to describe my relationship to poetry and right um you know aside from the poetry that you know you might read in high school or college as part of a, of a literature class um my first boyfriend was a writer and he was in the MFA program with you and, and many other people who were poets um among other types of authorship and so so I had been around poetry um and in the natural course of being in a relationship, you try to get to know the the things that your your other your significant other is interested in. So, I started to pay more attention to poetry, but I couldn't. I wouldn't say that I was a fan of poetry. I just kind of tried to, you know, you try to know fit what in. You yeah, you try to fit yeah. in. Um, but the year I lived with you probably did more to increase my appreciation for poetry than than really anything else. Oh, that's delightful. <laughs> yes. Um, uh, I mean, I just want everyone to know that Danielle is the only person I have ever walked in on who was laughing while reading a poem. <laughs> and I don't think I had ever, other than Shel Silverstein or someone like that, I don't think, or Dr. Seuss, I had never thought of the serious forms of poetry as something that could be entertaining. Yeah. It always seemed like rigorous academic work. Right. You know, you're struggling to understand this line or something. (laughs) Um, And so you bring a mirth to poetry that I think makes it uh, more enjoyable for me. And and I would imagine for anyone that is lucky enough to take your classes. Oh, well, I'm I'm so delighted that you feel that way. I am. I think I have an easy laugh. I'm so. really sucking up to you. <laughs> this sounds like a Trump administration, like a cabinet meeting in the White House. Danielle's wonderful. And you're just Do the I need best to thing. fire you tomorrow? I know. <laughs> Friendship over. Uh. Um, well, let's let's um, talk about this. So um, let's talk about this poem, Wishbone, um, which I kind of came to um, suggest the book to you. Because I thought that you would love it. <laughs> and, and you've been reading it um, and uh, you've honed in on this particular poem. So the book itself is like amazing. It's really wonderful, I, I think. It, it's, it's highly original in its um, subject matter and it's in the way that it approaches the subject matter more importantly. Um, usually when I tell people about it. So it's, it's Richard Sykin's Crush. Um, and it won the Yale Younger Poets uh, um, prize several years back now. And it's just one of these books that 
is a perennial favorite um, of my students, um, of people that I introduce it to. And the way I usually tell them is like, it's like a sexy, violent thrill ride of a poetry book. <laughs> it's yes. If, if you could turn a Quentin Tarantino movie into a poetry, into book. a poetry book. Yeah. Maybe not Quentin Tarantino, but something along those lines. Yeah. Um, that there's something about the sort of obsessive quality of the voice and the anxiety that he kind of has throughout that is, is just, it's amazing. It's amazing to read and be inside of this voice as much as it is. Um, and uh, Louise Glick has an amazing introduction to this book, has a beautiful introduction to this book. Um, and she hones in on a few of the poems, but Wishbone is one of them that she hones in oh, on. really? Yeah, in the introduction. Oh. Yeah. It's, I mean, it, it's, like... it's funny. Like, <laughs> I, like, I love that, that you were interested in this book and then honed in on that poem because honestly, for a long time, I was like, well, it's not my favorite in the collection. I, the collection overall is brilliant. And I think that poem is you know, up to par with everything else in the book, but I, I have my like sort of chosen favorites that I go back to mm -hmm. all the time. And so I was like, oh, Wishbone, that's not one that I'd like really sat down and thought a lot of. And so because you chose this poem, I've gotten to delve into it and, and I just love it. Now. Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, um, but she hones in on this poem in the introduction. And I wanted to say something that, that she, she talks about in her essay she articulates the central tension of this poem, which is also the central tension of the book, which is this headlong, manic, um, driven, anxious uh, voice that keeps going over these scenes, basically, in, in a relationship um, with a lover um, who seems like they're always at least one foot out of the door or maybe already gone. Yes. Yeah. So the, so the, the title, Crush, has like that. multiple well yeah. yeah literally a crush on a person right and being crushed by that person right yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah both and um but she says of wishbone particularly she says the poem's power derives from obsession but richard syken's manner is sheer manic improv with the poet in all roles he is the animal trapped in the headlights paralyzed he is also the speeding vehicle the car that doesn't stop and the mechanisms of flight. This book is all high beams, reeling, savage, headlong, insatiable. Wow. Right? Like, that's a pretty, it's so well articulated about what this book. I, yeah, her essay is almost a poem, and it's a <laughs> oh, oh, well, her essays always are. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> and at this point, we should just do a lot of sucking up to Louise. <laughs> yeah, she's amazing. Um but um, anyways, uh, I um, do you want do you want to try to read this poem out loud? Do you want me to read it? What do you want to do? Um, I would like to try, actually. I don't know if I'll do it justice, but um, okay. I do love to read this. I, I think this is a poem that just sounds great read out loud. <laughs> Wishbone. By Richard Sykin. You saved my life, he says. I owe you. I owe you everything. You don't, I say. You don't owe me squat. Let's just get going. Let's just get gone. But he's restless. Keeps saying, I owe you. Says, your shoes are filling with your own damn blood. You must want something. Just tell me and it's yours. But I can't look at him. Can hardly speak. I took the bullet for all the wrong reasons. I just as soon kill you myself, I say. You keep saying, I owe you. I owe, but you say the same thing every time. Let's not talk about it. Let's just not talk. Not because I don't believe it. Not because I want it any different, but I'm always saving and you're always owing and I'm tired of asking to settle the debt. Don't bother. You never mean it anyway. Not really. And it only makes me that much more ashamed. There's only one thing I want. Don't make me say it. Just... Get me bandages. I'm bleeding. I'm not just making conversation. There's smashed glass glittering everywhere like stars. It's a western, Henry. It's a downright shoot 'em up. We've made a graveyard out of the bone white afternoon. It's another raw man dies scenario, and we keep doing it, Henry. Keep saying, until we get it right. But we always win, and we never quit. See, we've won again. Here we are at the place where I get to beg for it, where I get to say, please, for just one night, 
will you lie down next to me? We can leave our clothes on. We can stay all buttoned up. But we both know how it goes. I say, I want you inside me. And you hold my head under water. I say, I want you inside me. And you split me open with a knife. I'm battling monsters. I'm pulling you out of burning buildings. And you say, I'll give you anything. But you never come through. Even when you're standing up, you look like you're lying down. But will you let me kiss your neck, baby? Do I have to tie your arms down? Do I have to stick my tongue in your mouth like the hand of a thief, like a burglary, like it's just another petty theft? It makes me tired, Henry. Do you see what I mean? Do you see what I'm getting at? I swear, I end up feeling empty like you've taken something out of me and I have to search my body for the scars, thinking, did he find that one last tender place to sink his teeth in? I know you want me to say it, Henry. It's in the script. You want me to say, lie down on the bed. You're all I ever wanted and worth dying for, too. But I think I'd rather keep the bullet. It's mine, see. Not giving it up. This way you still owe me, and that's as good as anything. You can't get out of this one, Henry. You can't get it out of me. And with this bullet lodged in my chest, covered with your name, I will turn myself into a gun. Because I'm hungry and hollow, and just want something to call my own. I'll be your slaughterhouse, your killing floor, your morgue and final resting, walking around with this bullet inside me like the bullet was already there, like it's been waiting inside me the whole time. Do you want it? Do you want anything I have? Will you throw me to the ground like you mean it? Reach inside and wrestle it out with your bare hands? If you love me, Henry, you don't love me in a way I understand. Do you know how it ends? Do you feel lucky? Do you want to go home now? There's a bottle of whiskey in the trunk of the Chevy and a dead man at our feet, staring up at us like we're something interesting. This is where the evening splits in half, Henry. Love or death. Grab an it. Pull hard. And make a wish. I don't know if it's more fun to read that poem or listen to that poem. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you're absolutely right in, in wanting to read it out loud. Yeah. As you, like when you were up, you were getting ready for, uh, to start this and you were in the other room, I was looking over the poem and I had a very hard time just reading it in my head. Uh, This, this poem is clearly meant to be spoken. And I think that one of the one of the main reasons why this poem in particular needs to be spoken out is because it's a dramatic monologue. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's really what it is. And for those of you who are um, sort of unfamiliar about dramatic monologue in um, in the poetic tradition, the originator of the dramatic monologue is considered Robert Browning um, with the publication of his poem, My Last Duchess. Um, and that poem um, kind of set the stage for I mean, obviously, there's a kind of hybridity happening here. Um, people had already thought about and heard many, many monologues for centuries from theater. Mm-hmm. Um, and these kinds of dramatic monologues, usually in a play. Shakespeare, darling. Oh, yes, indeed. <laughs> um, you know, these dramatic monologues are usually at a pivotal moment in the play and therefore a pivotal moment in the life and the characterization of a character. It's usually when they're making a decisive, it's usually at a decisive moment, they have to make a decision, a choice. Um, and, uh, you know, the one of the most famous is the to be or not to be mm-hmm. um, in Hamlet. Um, but there are so many, and, and we know this from movies as well, like people at, at some pivotal moment, it's been all the tension in the plot has led up to this particular moment. Um, and this is the part where you get this like pouring out of this character, even if the character hasn't been um, very loquacious throughout. Uh, this is the part where they're like talking to this other person and they're just telling it. Uh, usually like, this is what I've been thinking about this entire. Have you, are you wondering what my struggle has been? This is my struggle. Um, that something 
but they have been they have been catapulted into this utterance um, that is the center of how they have been feeling the entire time. Is it comparable in in you know everyday life? There are things that you're there's things that are going to happen, and you know they're going to happen. They're scheduled to mm-hmm. happen. Yeah, maybe you're. Maybe you've taken a fellowship in another city uh-huh. and you have to move or, you know, there's a, a day that your divorce is final or a day your kids go off to college and you just kind of postpone feeling too much about that. Yeah. You go through the mechanics and the administrative duties that are incumbent in this you know, pending action. Right. But then the day that you actually, when it arrives... You have to do something about it and you have to, and, and you just kind of emote. Yeah. I mean, you know, there, there, we've all had these conversations before. It's like, you've been ruminating about this and chewing on it for a long time, maybe even years. And in this case, within the right. relationship, right? Well, in this poem, it's, it's clear that this is some kind of, you know, messed up relationship. Where oh, he's for a, sure. deeply in love with Henry and Henry is clearly not returning uh, the affection in the same way uh, and possibly grossly manipulating the the speaker yeah and clearly he is this has got to be headed for something right like he he needs to get he i would say he needs to get away from this person oh yeah but he doesn't want to but he doesn't want to and this is like this is him kind of making the argument about why he shouldn't yeah while also clearly letting the reader know He's, he's clearly like madly, still madly in love. Well, with this, this is this is the great thing about the tradition of the dramatic monologue because of Robert Dr- Browning's original poem, which Victorian audiences were completely like, "What the hell is this?" <laughs> like, because you, it's 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 in the in, in the voice of this duke, um, and he is um, he's talking to this envoy um, who is going to uh, sort of help the arrangement of the marriage of his next wife. And uh, he is talking to the envoy um, as, as a monologue. The envoy doesn't speak back. Um, in, in the dramatic monologue, um, in terminology, he's considered the interlocutor of the speech of the Duke, right? Mm-hmm. So there is an actual character who is being spoken to that is not actually the audience, but kind of stands in for the audience, right? right. Um, and anyways, he's, he's showing this, this uh, painting of this, of this, like, this is my last duchess, Oh, look at her. You know, he's, isn't she beautiful? She looks like she's very mirthful. Yes, she was that way with everyone. <laughs> and you, yeah, you, you get to know, and it's very clear, like he's a completely unreliable narrator. He is a narcissist who's also violent. In, in the form, in, in the conversation with the envoy, he basically reveals that he has had her murdered. Oh my. Because he was so possessive and jealous and paranoid simply because she had an easy laugh that she, that he's, that he that saw, somehow made him jealous and enraged, yes, but that he, laugh belongs to him. Well, that, that she would deign to laugh to somebody else. He's the one with the title. He's the one who's made her a duchess. How dare she, nor would he deign to tell her, Hey, I'm feeling jealous. She should have known, but he is clearly telling the envoy this in, in a way to, like, hey, maybe you could pass this along to the other, the new one. I'm going to be married. <laughs> no. Yeah. I mean, it's just like he's a villain. What a... Yeah. No, he's, he's, a, he's, he's sort of an emotional... He's, he's, he's a villain. Um, but because that is sort of the, um, the foundational poem for this form, a lot of people in the contemporary moment still, when they write dramatic monologues, oftentimes they will write from the perspective of a villainous or um, unreliable person. Like this person should get the hell away from Henry and Henry should get the hell away from him, right? Yeah. At some point you believe that there probably was love because there's so much obsession and passion happening here, but things have gone awry. Whatever it is that drew them together to begin with is not working in terms of relationship. But I would like to point out to you that this poem comes right after Planet of Love, which is the mm-hmm. first poem in the section. I think this is one of the poems you actually recommended when you recommended the book. I love this poem. Yeah. But this poem, if you consider this poem and then consider Wishbone in in conversation with this one. Yeah, I I think 
and you are such a more careful reader. You may have, <laughs> I'll say this and then you'll be like, no, it's, it's one of the two, uh, <laughs> but I, I can read wishbone and I can play at least two different scenarios in my head mm -hmm. that, that has led to this. And without contemplating. Oh no, other. you should be able to yeah. like, like a dramatic monologue should absolutely stand on its own. That's the thing that, that sets it apart from a dramatic monologue in a play. Okay. Yeah. That a play has an entire play around it, but a dramatic monologue, is showing a character at a pivotal moment of their life and time telling they have been catapulted into an utterance and are revealing both about themselves and about the plot mm -hmm. just in of itself. Well, one, one scenario is, and if you look at planet of love, it kind of makes, makes you think that that must be what Sykin was actually experiencing as if he experienced this, I assume some of this has got to be, it feels so emotionally authentic that I, I have Hard to, to imagine think, inventing that. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think that maybe the, the actual, the actual details of the relationship ship here are fictionalized, but the emotional truth is there. Yes. Yeah. So I, I could imagine these are two people who have been together too long. They're in some kind of dysfunctional relationship oh, it's and so dysfunctional. they have fallen out of love. Yeah. But I could also imagine it that one of them has simply been one of them has always been in love with the other and um, they've, but they've never actually been together. Mm. It's, it's like an, uh, a drawn out tease for, yeah. for the, for the speaker mm -hmm. um, where Henry, I, I, sometimes I imagine, you know, uh, two men who have been together for a while and, and they've drifted apart, but they don't have, they haven't had the gall to, one of them's checked out a long time ago and right. Henry's checked out. Right. Right. And this but happens in lots of, <laughs> lots yes, of long-term yes. relationships. Like you're just unwilling to let go of all the time that you put in and, or you're just too afraid of what happens next. But I could also imagine Henry being specifically, you know, very physically attractive and like flirty and a charmer yeah. and just keeps using this, the speaker for, uh, you the know, attention, the attention or yeah. amusement. Yeah. And, and possibly, uh, you know, more tangible things, right? Like, yeah, I, I read this and I'm wondering who pays for dinner. Yeah. <laughs> 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 well, yeah, there's, there's a definite, uh, power. There's an imbalance. There's a power imbalance here in this relationship. And, and a very severe Henry, one. Right. And if Henry cared for this person, he wouldn't put him through this. Yeah. But there's, there's something about the voice in his desperation, he has made himself into a kind of villain. Yes. Well, he's talking about killing him. Oh, oh <laughs> uh, yeah. And also, like, I'd rather keep the bullet. Oh, there's so much bitterness in some oh, of these lines. I, yeah. I underlined some of my favorite lines because it's like he's spitting them. Oh, you know? yeah, totally. Like, but I think I'd rather keep the bullet. Don't bother. You never mean it. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> like, some of the some of the best lines, in the, or some of my favorite lines in this poem are some of the, the most simple ones yeah? Um, because they just, they flow right off the tongue. I, I think, I don't know if you could tell when I was reading it, I, you get carried away with it. You're, oh, you do. Sometimes is this a good thing or a bad thing? Some of the words in the poem, I realized I either skipped or I changed. It didn't change the meaning, but that's how like this poem gallops, I think. In oh, your... it absolutely does. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it even, you know, it, it starts off as, as, as kind of a trot, but it doesn't start still. Right? right. We're already in motion when right. it starts. You know, <laughs> you saved my life. He says, I owe you. I owe you everything. What? <laughs> I mean, we should, we should just like, I mean, in, even starting in this one, like you, you don't, I say, you don't owe me squat. Let's just get going. Let's just get gone. But he's relentless. He keeps saying, I owe you says your shoes are filling with your own damn blood. You must want something. Just tell me. And it's yours. Like what is yep. happening? <laughs> in this poem? Like if you hadn't read any other poem in this book, you might, I mean, perhaps that was the re reaction of the audience of them well, being like, what are you guys reading? <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. <laughs> yeah. If you, yeah. If you just started with that, yeah. like, Oh my goodness that we've, they cut off the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> What's interesting too. And I'm just realizing is until you get to his, to what he start when he starts to speak for himself and not just re yeah. relating what Henry said, you don't actually know who holds the power. Yeah. Right. He has to reveal it yeah. because clearly this Henry is begging. Right. Because he's, I'm imagining that, you know, Henry has done something that he shouldn't have done. Right. Or, or ignored. Who knows? He may not have done something he was supposed to. And 
clearly the the writer is mad and yes. Henry knows uh-huh. and Henry's trying to patch it up and the and but the the writer knows that Henry's never going to do what Henry needs to do to yeah. patch this up. Oh yeah. And he's mad about it and Henry's about to hear it. <laughs> well, I what I love about this is that, you know, it's this extremely dramatic situation like your your shoes are filling with your own damn blood. Never mind, just whatever. <laughs> is the whole is the whole <laughs> and, and then we get down to the to the end or or toward the middle of the poem and says, you know, it's another wrong man dies scenario and we keep doing it, Henry. We keep saying until we get it right, but we always win and we never quit. See, we won again. How many dead people have they left? How many, how much collateral damage has this relationship done to the people around them? You know, the dead bodies are something, I've told you this before, there are always elements in poems, because I'm, I'm a occasional and casual reader, right? I, yeah. I, I don't, mm-hmm. um, I, I don't always pick at all the lines in the poem. Um, so the dead bodies, I kind of, I don't ignore them, but I, I haven't ever. I, How can you ignore the dead I, bodies? No, no, I say I don't, I don't <laughs> ignore them. It's just, I've never quite, I haven't sat down and tried to figure out what I think is really going on, right? Like, are they on a murder spree cross country? Are well, they? Well, that's why we need to read Planet of Love. But Is Henry like a sociopath and <laughs> this guy keeps cleaning up the murders, but he's in love with them? Like, <sighs> it, it's hard to say because at this point the 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 speaker has become so entrenched in this terrible emotional cycle between him and Henry, and obviously Henry has to be getting something out of it for it to be going on this this long. Um, that that the speaker has become complicit in these murders, like that's what's that's what's suggested here, right? right? Um, and and I so I don't think that there is a literal corpse anywhere. I think that. There is, uh, but the the corpse ends up being symbolic for the larger collateral damage. Well, see, that's of what their I... relationship, but also their own emotional lives. It's not a woman who's sitting there; it's a man who's staring up at them, a dead man at their feet. The dead man could be symbolically either one of them, like the sort of mm. inability to get up from this situation. Um, I know that that sort of gets confused because they're also the one killing. But I feel like the corpse is symbolic of. Um, they're killing each other they're over, and over, each and over, other over and over and over again. Over and over, yes. Yeah, and that's kind of how I took it. That's when I said I ignored the bodies. I meant I didn't think they were literal. Right. Yeah. But then when you started talking about it, it did pop in my brain. Well, maybe maybe you can take it literally. It is entirely possible that this is a completely messed up relationship. Um, this is part of what's, <laughs> this is part of what I, I really hope comes through. Like when, I, from this particular podcast is how much fun and how exciting, uh, these poems can be when you allow yourself to speculate and, and be curious about things. Oh yeah. And, um, you know, for me, I'll point out two things. Um, Danielle and I each took turns reading this poem earlier and, um, I think you read it in a more disp- not despairing, but maybe exasperated, uh-huh. just kind of like even, and the disgust was more even, more uh-huh. more um, controlled. Uh-huh. And I think I read it just pissed off. I was I want I want <laughs> I like the speaker being angry. Like the bitterness is just like when I said earlier, spitting. He's spitting at Henry. Like yeah, you know, I'd rather keep the bullet. You know, <laughs> and you were more like, I'd rather keep the bullet. Like it's almost he's it's almost like he's resigned to it. He's thought it through. He knows uh, what this relationship is, that he's not going to get what he wants from Henry. And he's yeah. he's almost beyond the anger now. Well, maybe we'll have to include both readings because we, we well, include twice. So it would be fun to it would be fun to have maybe you read it once and then me read it at the end or vice versa. Well, I think to me, that's that's um, indicative of something that I think. Uh, a lot of people who don't read a lot of poetry don't realize that there is not necessarily one true interpretation. I mean, but there is, I'm sure there's something the author intended, but it's okay to like read it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. 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 No, that you're, I think because I'm always trying to figure it like what's true, right? Like, 
are they on a murder spree? Is that you know, <laughs> I, okay? How, I who, feel like that something went wrong, um, and and that this this monologue it's like something that they were playing at that became true, right? Um, like like we were just playing at being completely carefree or not carefree. That's a terrible word for this reckless that's a much (laughs) much more precise word uh that they were being reckless with their love and their lives together um but maybe you're right maybe they're not because i can also very very much see especially since you know you hold my head underwater right that 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 this is this is a friendship that is very close and one person has all of the power because the other person is in love with them and that first person knows it Right. right i know that you're in love with me but I'm going to, I'm going to spend all this time with you anyway, because I, I like that you love me. It does something for me. I think, yes, it, it's just fun to explore and try to figure out yeah. what you think the poem is, yeah. like what the scenarios are and what the feelings are beneath like, and, and I mean, this is fairly obvious that, you know, the, the speaker is unhappy displeased with henry right, right but it's but, a constellation of displeasure right, right. yeah and, it's and not one pointing yeah what the emotions are and you know is he more mad is he more despairing and resigned is, is he, he more bitter yeah uh, yeah it's funny that you said that that you thought that i that i uh, but i think i'd rather keep the bullet that what what's funny is to me is that i sounded angry to me that is apparently what i sound like angry and that doesn't sound angry to you <laughs> it doesn't sound you, as angry which actually would explain a lot about my relationships. And like people <laughs> don't seem to understand when I'm pissed off. <laughs> I'm like, oh, maybe I feel badly for all those boyfriends who, who were like, but you didn't seem that upset. I, I will say you got angrier. I think maybe you built to it more than I did. I yeah. just started mad. and Oh, I of, see. Yeah, I did try to do that. Yeah, you crescendo. I I, that was my attempt to yeah. crescendo into anger. Like, because at first the, the bullet comes, you know, and like there, there, I feel like because the the thing is leading up to, I'd rather keep the bullet. Yeah, you know, like because this is the the revealing moment for the character, whether or not we believe this whole whole other plot that's happening in it. This is clearly, this is clearly the the climactic moment of of like I'd rather keep the bullet. Um, like all of this has been happening. I feel like for years, maybe it's just a couple of weeks. I don't think so. <laughs> I think that, that that this relationship between this person has been happening for a really long time and this power dynamic has happened for a long time. And this is the moment in which the speaker finally says, I am sick of this dynamic. You either love me and you're in and this is going to be a thing or you or, or you die <laughs> or you leave or i will turn myself into a gun <laughs> right or i'll turn myself into a gun like this is like the emotional emotional high point mm-hmm. for the speaker in terms of the crescendo of their relationship right um that you're just like i this is like this has happened and and it's what's interesting is that metaphorically or or literally this has happened before that they have been in some kind of jam and the speaker has sacrificed himself for Henry. I love these poems because they work. They're so interesting, even on the literal level. Even if we don't think that there's anything metaphorical happening yeah. here, you're like, "Whoa, what?" It's like Christ. It's a uh, like Agatha Christie wrote a poem. <laughs> I mean, seriously. That's what I mean. Like, there's something about that is so enticing. But a sexy poem. Yeah, I yeah. know, right? I, I was going to say, it can't be Agatha Christie. She it's got to be not, like, if you took Agatha she's Christie. She's not very hot. <laughs> not, in, not in her. Or maybe, her... Uh, what's his name? Um, uh, uh, Leonard. Uh, El- Elmore Leonard. Oh, yeah. I don't, I, I don't, I, I'm, I'm unfamiliar largely with the mystery genre. I wouldn't call him mystery. Um, he wrote uh, Rum Punch, which was the... Um, we need Max right now. Uh, he wrote the, <laughs> I know we really do. Uh, Rum Punch Max. was the the basis, I think, for the movie Jackie Brown. Hmm. Maybe I'm getting that wrong. He, he's uh, Quentin Tarantino is a big fan of um, Elmore Leonard, and he also wrote um, Fire in the Hole, which was the basis for the Justified um, TV show. And I feel like those are kind of it's his genre is like kind of dangerous, sexy 
heist type things. I mean, it's it, it would be fitting for this. Yeah. Well, I mean, in the actual poem itself, he says, this is a Western, Henry. This is a downright shoot him up. But what? But it's become that in this moment, and then certainly it continues in that. It keeps going. You're like, oh yeah, something has gone wrong, and now you're on the lamb, and now it's and now it's become like a western, like the the law is after them, you know. Um, but whether or not we think of this as a mystery or a western or anything, one of the things aspects of this poem that I really love is that the speaker is conscious of this as a kind of performance. That, that we get this, and he's like, it's, it's like a Western. It's like a, you know, that, that he is somehow both going through the experience and reflecting on it at the same time, not reflecting in any sort of like long meditative way, but that he's trying to define it in terms of cinema Mm -hmm. um, and therefore is touching upon this like act that is happening between them. You act like you're sorry. You say that this is going to be better. You say that you'll do anything, but you won't do the one thing I want you to do, which is to love me. So you are acting like, like you're going to be okay. And I am acting like it's okay. And we both know that that is not true. And here's where he's like, I am done with this performance. I'd rather keep the bullet. I'd rather keep the bullet. Is the assumption then that the person with the gun was trying to shoot Henry and the speaker jumped in front of the bullet? Right. Or is it that Henry was trying to shoot the person and he jumped in front of it because he didn't want Henry to get into trouble? Right. But then we have the dead man at the end again. But you still have the dead man. Yeah, you're right. Which could be metaphorical about the relationship. Or, yeah. yeah it, who knows? <laughs> I don't know. We're, we're getting too deep now. Um, but um, but one of the things that I think that this dramatic monologue um, really invites that kind of mulling it over right because um, but that's that's sort of the pleasure of the dramatic monologue anyway like it's it places emphasis on the subjective qualities Mm -hmm. of the speaker because it's just one person you don't you don't hear henry speak yeah we don't we don't hear him like maybe if we got a dramatic monologue from henry's perspective we'd be like oh man (laughs) (laughs) that guy's messing well i did think there is we we seem to think that uh we, we seem to automatically assume that Henry has most of the power. Right. It is entirely possible that, you know, maybe these people have known, let's pretend for a minute that Henry is the boy in the trunks holding his head underwater Mm -hmm. and they've been friends forever. Yeah. And maybe Henry's not gay. Yeah. You know, maybe Henry's like kind of like, you know, this like corn fed, good looking kind of dumb guy (laughs) who went to Hollywood and became a famous actor. Right. And this is his, his best, best friend, friend who's, who's really still in love with who's him. super smart and super manipulative. Right. And has been like messing with Henry and like and making Henry feel bad. You know, yeah. I owe you. I owe you. Yeah. yeah, but you still won't fuck me, will you, Henry? <laughs> <laughs> you know, and like in that case, like, give Henry a break, man. <laughs> Leave him alone. Leave him alone, right? But <laughs> go, you, go find somebody else who will love you. But is it is it true that the reader automatically tries to put themselves on the side, all things being equal, will automatically try and identify with the speaker in the poem or in the whatever the written work is? Not necessarily. Not necessarily. Like, it depends on whether or not we think the speaker or Henry is the villain in the situation. And it is... It could be. It's unclear. Yeah, it's kind of unclear. You, we, I can imagine know, it from two ways. I know that I know that I have been... I think I have felt the way that the speaker feels with somebody before like completely fed like you say you you say you if you love me you don't love me in a way that i understand i think that using the movie set and kind of the cinematic uh elements in this poem lend or at least for me they lend it you're looking i'm looking to films i'm trying to think of a film that reminds me of this dynamic right and i can I can't think of the names of any, but there are several. And I think that's why I'm imagining it from different angles. Cause I've seen the villain. We've seen a movie where there's a Henry who's a villain, right? Like yeah. the guy who, you know, whatever is, is emotionally distant, but stringing this person along yeah. or, you know, the husband who's completely checked out of the marriage, but won't, you know, still guilts the wife into. Well, there's, there's, there's more complication in this actually. Cause if you go further into the, into the, book you find that the speaker if we want to think of it as the same speaker it's quite possible these are all different speakers um 
has lost has lost his lover. His lover has died. One of the things that Louise Glick brings up about this poem in her introduction is that she says that this is that the accumulation and reiteration of the speaker avert some impact, some deadly connection, that the reason why the speaker just keeps going and going and going in these long things is because he knows at the end of it, he's going to have to stop and realize what what's happened. Um, but he says, but she says, this is also the way one would address an absence, allowing no pause for the silence that would constitute response. What if the speaker is just talking to himself, thinking back to Henry? What if, what if Henry is dead or gone or not there anymore, and or- the speaker is just reeling from that? Yeah. What if Henry's a ghost? What if Henry's a ghost? Yeah. And that's why he can't lie down with him. Oh, wow. I got, I got goosebumps now. <laughs> uh, <laughs> like there's something about the, the, the desperateness of this, of this utterance, right? And, and the desperation, not just to, to utter this, but to keep talking it over, to keep it going. It's so long. It's so loquacious. Like it keeps going around like the same subject. It, you, you don't, you don't get, and you get the sense after a while that you're just talking and talking because you're afraid of what's going to happen when you stop, which is silence, right? And even mm-hmm. if we think Henry's dead or gone, or if we think that the speaker just actually knows that as soon as he stops talking, Henry's going to leave, if Henry's actually I, there. That one feels right to yeah, me. Like, yeah, yeah. And it starts to make me wonder if Henry's, the vil- like, who the villain is. That, that, that contributes to that feeling of... Um, just uncertainty of, of which one of them. Well, if it's true to life, they're both at fault. So, you yeah, know, I know, right? Why are we also yeah, trying yeah. to point the finger? I mean, <laughs> I mean, this is what you do at the end of Henry the stayed, the other guy stayed. Yeah, you both yeah, should have yeah, got yeah, out. Like yeah. you, yeah, both of you should have ended this a long time ago. There would be much less collateral damage. <laughs> Neither yeah. one of you are innocent. <laughs> yeah, in this situation, like you need to get out. Um, I have, I have a request. I know that we need, we should probably wrap up. Um. Other than, but I think I'd rather keep the bullet. Mm-hmm. What is your favorite? What is your next favorite line? I'm assuming that one's probably the one you would say was your favorite. Ooh, that's a good. You know what I, I love? Because it's, it's, I mean, psyching can be so gorgeous. And one of the ones I, I just really love, there's smashed glass glittering everywhere like stars. It's a Western, Henry. It's a downright shoot 'em up. We've made a graveyard out of the bone white afternoon. Like, I love that for its lyricism. It's interesting because there's there's only a few of those in here. Yeah, I know. It's very few. And, and, and in many, many other of the poems, I mean, in, when in, in my favorite poem, Shahrazad, um, earlier in like what, what actually begins the book, it's just all gorgeous. It's very, very uh, rarely that this... Um, in this vocal mode, in this register? I have a few. What's um, your fave? I have, I, I underlined a few that I'm, I just, I love you, saying. You wouldn't let me say, but I'd rather keep the bullet, which I just freaking love. You can say it. I just mean like, <laughs> I knew you'd pick that one. So I wanted to, I wanted to find God, another one. I love, I love, my favorite's the climactic <laughs> moment. My favorite is, is the pinnacle of it. The, it that's like the biggest turn in in the poem because he 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 starts laying it flat right there i'll tell you what i'd rather keep the bullet you know (laughs) this way you still owe me and that's as good as anything i i know that one yeah (laughs) so that's when i marked this way you still owe me and that's as good as anything because (laughs) i mean we have all felt that way at one point and it is such a petty horrible way to horrible yeah you're not a good person but you felt that (laughs) um i also love um not because I don't believe it, not because I want it any different, but I'm always saving and you're always owing and I'm tired of asking to settle the debt. Don't bother. You never mean it anyway. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, and there's nothing special. There's no special words in there. There's nothing particularly, you know, uh, it, it doesn't create a lot of imagery or anything. It's not necessarily beautiful. It's just so raw and so real and feels and so easily spoken. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Like dialogue yes. in a film. Yeah. 
So, oh, and one last one. I, and I want to say this because I don't think it's very often in my very limited experience that one of my favorites, a, a, a competitor for my favorite line is the last line. Yeah. Yeah. This is where the evening splits in half, Henry. Love or death. Grab an end, pull hard, and make a wish. Yeah. I know. I love it. It's just like, <laughs> oh, it's so <laughs> You're like, you really oh, want to be a fly on yeah. the wall for this conversation, don't you? Or it's one of those things like you would think of later on. Like if you're after the breakup or after the death, whatever it is, mm-hmm. and you're like ruminating on yourself, you're like, what What should I have said? Yeah. Like I would never land this line in actual <laughs> life, right? It would never occur to me in life. It would always be like later on when I'm like ruminating and angry and like by myself talking to myself in my room, right. you know? Right. Yeah. The, per- the perfect comeback that you came up with 36 hours later. Yeah. <laughs> or five years later, yeah, depending yeah. on depending on how pissed off I was about that breakup. Um, I should I should also say one more thing. Uh, several weeks ago, I a friend of mine uh, unfortunately had to go out of town for and gave me a ticket to a sold out concert of Alanis Morissette. Oh, really? And I just I've been thinking you know, that came in between my trip to, to Oregon and you coming here to record this. Yeah. And uh, it has occurred to me a few times. I'm like, well, if there was ever a singer to go along with Richard Sykin's crush. You ought to know. You ought to know. <laughs> and every time she what runs her nails down. Every time down, you, you run, run your nails down someone, someone else's, else's back. back. I, I hope you... Oh, every time I run my nails down someone else's back. I hope you feel it. Right. And I'd rather <laughs> keep the bullet. Yeah. <laughs> right? Am I yeah, wrong? That's Jagged it. Little Pill is yeah. the is the companion album to this book. I love it. <laughs> I love it. Thank you so much to uh, Richard Seiken for, for writing this book and to Thank you so much to you, Sean, for right. talking with me about I oh God, I wish we could have these conversations like every night. <laughs> if yeah, you need, like we used to. If someone would just pay me to do this, this we could, I, we would do this all day. Yeah, we totally <laughs> would. I love you. Thank you for talking about this with me. Um, let's see. I need to find our outro. Well, we would talk about this poem and really anything else all day long. So um, let's let you listen to this poem one more time before we go. Here it is. Wishbone by Richard Sykin. You saved my life, he says. I owe you. I owe you everything. You don't, I say. You don't owe me squat. Let's just get going. Let's just get gone. But he's relentless. Keeps saying, I owe you. Says, your shoes are filling with your own damn blood. You must want something. Just tell me and it's yours. But I can't look at him. Can hardly speak. I took the bullet for all the wrong reasons. I'd just as soon kill you myself, I say. You keep saying, I owe you, I owe, but you say the same thing every time. Let's not talk about it. Let's just not talk. Not because I don't believe it, not because I want it any different, but I'm always saving and you're always owing and I'm tired of asking to settle the debt. Don't bother. You never mean it anyway. Not really. And it only makes me that much more ashamed. There's only one thing I want. Don't make me say it. Just get me bandages. I'm bleeding. I'm not just making conversation. There's smashed glass glittering everywhere like stars. It's a western, Henry. It's a downright shoot-em-up. We've made a graveyard out of the bone-white afternoon. It's another wrong-man-dies scenario, and we keep doing it, Henry. Keep saying until we get it right. But we always win, and we never quit. See, we've won again. Here we are at the place where I get to beg for it, where I get to say, please, just one night, will you lie down next to me? We can leave our clothes on. We can stay all buttoned up. But we both know how it goes. I say, I want you inside me. And you hold my head underwater. I say, I want you inside me. And you split me open with a knife. I'm battling monsters. I'm pulling you out of burning buildings. And you say, I'll give you anything. But you never come through. Even when you're standing up, you look like you're lying down. But will you let me kiss your neck, baby? Do I have to tie your arms down? Do I have to stick my tongue in your mouth like the hand of a thief? Like a burglary? Like it's just another petty theft? It makes me tired, Henry. Do you see what I mean? Do you see what I'm getting at? I swear, I end up feeling empty. Like you've taken something out of me. And I have to search my body for the scars, thinking, did he find that one last tender place to sink his teeth in? 
I know you want me to say it, Henry. It's in the script. You want me to say, lie down on the bed. You're all I ever wanted and worth dying for, too. But I think I'd rather keep the bullet. It's mine, see? I'm not giving it up. This way you still owe me, and that's as good as anything. You can't get out of this one, Henry, and you can't get it out of me. And with this bullet lodged in my chest, covered with your name, I will turn myself into a gun, because I'm hungry and hollow and just want something to call my own. I'll be your slaughterhouse, your killing floor, your morgue and final resting place, walking around with this bullet inside me, like the bullet was already there, like it's been waiting inside me the whole time. Do you want it? Do you want anything I have? Will you throw me to the ground like you mean it, reach inside and wrestle it out with your bare hands? If you love me, Henry, you don't love me in a way I understand. Do you know how it ends? Do you feel lucky? Do you want to go home now? There's a bottle of whiskey in the trunk of the Chevy and a dead man at our feet, staring up at us like we're something interesting. This is where the evening splits in half, Henry. Love or death. Grab an end, pull hard, and make a wish. Thank you so much for joining us. This has been Vita Readings. This is Danielle. And this is Sean. And we're wishing you a good night. Bye-bye. I've I've never understood why we have to tell children so many lies. Oh yeah, right? no. I mean, we we try to dress it up as oh, it's a cute story, or mm-hmm. like no, it's a lie. It's yeah. it's actually if you did that to an adult and drug it on for years, that would be the end of whatever relationship you had, <laughs> right? Like if you invented an yeah. imaginary person and convinced them that they were real <laughs> and created <laughs> an entire spectacle around it, in which you had to like <laughs> sit up late at night right. and wait for them to come right. and be like, oh, I guess they're not coming, right? For and, years. I mean, just imagine. <laughs> That someone did that to you as an adult, you'd be like, you sick, demented fuck. You made up songs and everything. (laughs)